this sermon. And it really is about trusting God more. James chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, we all know it, consider it pure joy, going through trials of various kinds. It really is, what we're actually saying is that we need to trust in Him more. Oh, how we need to trust in Him more. And I know I do in my life. So I want to be the complete Christian that James is talking about here. Let's go to James chapter 1. I read four verses. This is the second part in these four verses. I don't know if I'll get through it all, but we'll see. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray. Father, we desire... To be lacking nothing. We desire to be so much like Christ. We desire so much to say yes and amen to your promises. It's over. It's done. If God says it, so be it. Help us, Father God. We believe. Help us with our unbelief, Father God. We want to be complete. We want to be mature. We want to be made perfect. We want to be usable in the service of you in this world, Father God, to our fellow brothers and sisters and those who still don't know you, Father God, as we serve this world in Christ's name. Father God, I'd ask you to breathe upon the text and let us see how this is being played out in our life this very day, God, as we go through this text, Father God, show us how this is being worked out and worked into our life, Father God. Show us where you are in the trials and the tribulations of various kinds that we find ourselves in today. In Jesus' name. With that being said, without a show of hands, if you want to show your hands, you can. Anybody being tested? Anybody going through trials of various kinds? We got a double hand. We got a couple of honest saints over here. Okay, got to remember, before I come here, I got to preach this sermon to myself, and it's always a scary prospect when you're sitting there looking at the mirror of the Word of God and saying, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, after almost 30 years in the Lord, oh my goodness, I still need to count it pure joy. But counting something pure joy that's not pleasant is not easy. And the world would think us crazy to count the pure joy. But we want to be the complete Christian. Last week, I, the last time I spoke about this, and I started with the end result of being the complete Christian. Usually the phrase, count it all joy, gets all the attention. Okay. Count it all joy. And then we talk about it, we get bits about it, we, we have some nervous laughter about it. But usually that's what gets all the attention. Uh, I decided to start looking at the... What what God wants to do with us before we count it all joy that God and I spoke about this two weeks about you know making us complete making us mature making us more like Christ to see the end results so that the trials we go through and the means to the end start to make sense when you know the end picture to be like Christ to be usable in the service of God and that's what it is to be mature that's what he's talking about here being usable in the service of God. To bring glory to God in our life. That's the end result. You know? So when you know that, and we know that, and I know that, then we can look at the trials we go through and the means to the end in a different perspective. When we know that, we can count it all joy because we know the end picture. To be more like the Lord. Praise God. We looked at it through four different ways. So James does not say what this complete Christian looks like. Specifically. 
The Bible is not shy on telling us what it is. And how God uses, what God uses to accomplish his spiritual development in our life. And we looked at four areas last week. Certainly not uh, a comprehensive one, but it's four that I believe the New Testament brings out. And, and the one thing we need to be complete in is our moral completeness. Our moral inner life. And we spoke out of Romans uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling, not in jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's the development of our inner life. The New Testament says much about that, so is the Old Testament. But that's an area of testing God is going to strengthen us in so that we can be complete in our moral life. I can't fall apart every time a pretty girl walks by. I can't fall apart every time there's a get-rich-quick scheme going on. You have to have moral integrity in the moral high ground. Otherwise, we can never develop as a Christian. It's the first thing God goes for in a brand new Christian's life is moral development par excellence. That's what he wants from us. I spoke about the second area of our Christian life in Galatians 6.1, and, and, and that's ministry development, that we can be used in the Christian church. I want to be used as the Christian and I spoke out of Galatians 6.1 where it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual or you who are complete Christian, you who are mature, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Always keeping an eye on for yourself. So before I can possibly be used in someone else's inner life, are you with me? Yes. I have to have a hold of my own inner life. And we spoke about, you just don't be too quick to give opinions. Don't be too quick to speak to people on encouraging them in their Christian life. You have to wait till you come to a place in your Christian life where, as Paul says, when someone's caught in a trespass, we can't beat them down. We have to have the compassion and the insight of Christ when he caught the woman in adultery and they wanted to stone her and he loved her. He had compassion in his eyes and he simply said, your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. He wasn't shocked. Oh my, look at this. She's caught in the middle of the act. What are we going to do? You can't hear that. When someone's pouring out their heart to you over sinful sins they fall into, you, you can't be shocked. You got to have bedside manner. You have to be compassionate and concerned. And you deal with the fruit of sin with the blood of Christ on the cross. Are you with me? Not opinions. We don't speak about ourselves and say, well, no, A, B, and C. It's like, no, Jesus forgives you. This is what the cross is about. But in ministry, we want to go to the root. It's not just, oh, your sins are forgiven. What's going on in your life? What got you into such a place? Let's talk about what's still going on in your heart that led you in the wrong direction over here. That's maturity. Takes time. But God wants us all ministering to each other, speaking the love and truth. So that's a growing aspect. We're all called to do that. Are you with me? The third one we spoke about was doctrinal maturity. Paul speaks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, that we to speak to each other until we attain to the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's our barometer, the Son of God. 
to mature manhood. Well, what is mature manhood, Brian? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Paul says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why, Paul? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning, by human craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, as Christians, one of the maturity things we have to get complete is, I have to know when someone says, let me speak to you about Jesus, I have to know if that's right or wrong. You're going to tell me about God, I have to know if that's right or wrong. Someone approached me the other day, Jehovah Witness wanted to talk to me about Jesus, started in Isaiah. I said, do me a favor, start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you're going to talk to me about the Bible, don't start in a, uh, a paragraph in the middle of Isaiah. Speak to me in Genesis chapter 1, 1. And then tell me what the Bible says. Not what you want to tell me from one verse of Scripture. They don't have an answer for that. Doctrine maturity is something we are called to do. It is a commandment to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I have to know. The first and foremost thing we all need to know is a man can never be saved by works of any law or any religion. All our good intentions are rubbish in the eyes of God. The only way a man can be accepted by God is by faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning work, period. That's it. Otherwise, I'm not looking to Jesus, I'm looking to myself, to elevate myself to a position that God accepts me. That means you're atoning for your own sins. I don't know if you picked up on that. So, and, and there's much more here. So, uh, uh, so, so an understanding of doctrinal maturity, so we're not blowing to and fro. But this, this preacher said, and this preacher said, and I, I shared an example a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, somebody I administered to for many years called, you know, he said, yeah, I, I was listening to a teller evangelist and I sent in $1,000 of seed money because they were going through a hard time. So they wanted the fast way out. Send a thousand dollars to the televangelist and all your problems are going to go away. There's no doctrinal maturity there. You're supposed to look at that and say, get behind me, Satan. Are you with me? Amen. You'd be surprised that people that go to good, rock-solid Christian churches fall for nonsense. This is the cunning and the schemes. Think about it. Eve, Adam, perfectly created in the image of God, fell for a lie. Know this about Satan. If you don't want to be taken advantage of. He has the ability to fool you and to trick you. If you don't know the word of God. So please. Take it serious. And then the last thing I spoke about was. Christian uh, character under fire. I want to be complete. So when I'm there at Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm sitting there with all the people that don't know Jesus, and I'm me and my wife are the only Christians there, you know, we're the born-agains. You know, we get the seat at the end of the table. All right? You know, we get the food at the end, you know? And they're all ripping into you, and so on. You know, a little character, a little fun. But you understand. You have to be able to stand up and give an account of your faith. We're not shrinking violence. Oh, 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 they're talking about me. And then you stand up and say, praise God, this is a time. i got a captured audience. I'm going to talk to them about the gospel. <laughs> See, God, there was a time I would have ran away. And I did run away when people challenged me. But now if someone's talking to me, I want the whole room to hear. Amen. I love this story. Saturday I'm playing some golf. Golf's over and I'm in the bathroom and... Going to the bathroom, one urine on the guy, and the other urine on the starts talking to me about the book of Genesis, chapter 9. And he's talking to me, and people start to come into the bathroom. 
So he's starting to tone down. I'm like, yeah, Genesis chapter 9, sure, they lived 500 years and 900 years, yeah, sure, you know. And I used that as a captured audience. I wasn't going to shy away and like start whispering. I was like, yeah, sure. This. But 20 years ago, I might have shut up. But as you grow and as we mature, you use that as a time to speak about God's goodness. Speak to men's conscience that there is a way of hope for eternal life. So when they go home and they wake up at 2 in the morning and the, and the thought of mortality is there, they can say, maybe Jesus is the answer. Are you with me? Peter talks about this. He says this. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered. That means you were called to suffer. For leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, but he was persecuted. He neither had found a seat in his mouth, but they crucified him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Are you with me? So understand something. When you're out there and you're being persecuted for your faith, do not shrink up like a flower in the scorching sun. Stand up, be accountable, and say, yes, I am a Bible-believing, born-again, evangelical Christian, and I love God, and I love you. Well, just say, once I was blind, and now I see. It's all the theology I have. Are you with me? You don't get into a fight. Jesus didn't fight with his persecutors. He didn't fight with those who crucified him. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So I'm only using those four dynamics as a way of getting a picture when we go to trials of various kinds that this is what God's producing. Who needs to be more bold in their witness? Then let let God do. That means we're still on the the wheel of being, the potter's wheel of being transformed and going through trials of various kinds. So we can be complete. There's nothing wrong with that. Who needs to be morally strong? In this world, I want to be morally stronger. I was going to pull up uh, something on YouTube today, and I was going to put it up as an illustration. You'll see later. I didn't use it because when I got into YouTube, I had to see a naked girl trying to sell me Viagra. And I'm like, Hello? I'm looking for something about football, and they're selling me this. You got to be ready. You got to be ready at all times. Do you know what it means, various, when you go through trials of various kinds? It's the same word Jesus uses on the, on the, on the, the Good Samaritan. When a man was going down to Jericho, you remember Jericho Road? And he fell upon robbers. He fell upon The same word James uses. It means sudden, out of nowhere, harsh, with the intent to hurt. So when we go go through temptations and trials of various kinds, they're they're sudden ones. They come out of nowhere. Where did that pop-up just come? I'm like, Terry, guess what just happened to me? So that's what I do. I'm going to tell my wife. It's like that, boom. You got to be on your guard. You got to be ready at all times. Your eyes got to make a covenant with the Lord. You never know when you're going to be persecuted. You never know when it's going to come and throw some, is Jesus really God at you? You never know when someone's going to say, you know, I've been caught in sin. And Do you know how to handle that? Do you know how to comfort them and strengthen them and get to the root of the problem? It's very important. 
As, am I right? Or are you with me? Okay. So I say all that because God wants us to be a complete Christian. James is talking about various trials. I try to paint some kind of uh, composite sketch of what a complete Christian looks like, what it looks like on the inner life, how God wants to use us. So, you know, we get hungry to be more changed and be more like Christ. Are you with me? So these are the four areas of Christian life that are important to God. And he's actively at work forming these characteristics in us. If you raised your hand about being more stronger in your witness, I'm telling you now, there's a God who's doing everything he can to strengthen you in this area. If you are struggling morally, if you're struggling with your eyes, you're struggling with anything, I can tell you right now, God is actively at work on a daily basis, giving you time and time examples to trust in him, to cry out to him, to ask for the special wisdom you need in the time of trial so he can strengthen you. If you want to be used in other people's lives, I'm telling you right now, God wants to strengthen you. But let me tell you this. If we're deficient in these areas or any one area, it will determine how much I can enjoy God. If you're struggling morally, understand the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness. I write to you these things, 1 John 2 says, that if you sin, You have an advocate with the Father. If you're going over certain sins again and again and again, it breaks the fellowship. Of course you go to God. Of course you're forgiven. But you're not enjoying the Lord. You're not saying, praise God. You're not coming to a Christian service and you have to wait till four songs go by until you finally feel close to God again. No, you come in saying, I can't wait for the music to start. I can't wait for the preaching. When the preacher starts talking about me, you're like, praise God, amen, amen. Because you're walking with the Lord. Let me say this before I move on. We all need strength in one of these areas, if not all these areas of our life. Amen? Amen. No one masses it all the time. We have to watch ourselves. No sin has overtaken you that's not common to man. Be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. We always got to be careful. Before we move on, one side note. Many of these trials we can go through can be just plain human experiences that all people encounter. But mainly we're talking about difficulties that come to us because we are Christians. Don't miss that. It's because we are Christians and we're called to live a holy life. All those who desire to live holy will be persecuted, Paul teaches us. We're all different. So understand something. These trials and temptations that are various kinds are usually very unique to being a Christian now. Are you with me? It's important for us to know. I'll focus our attention on four key words. I might not get them through all tonight. I'll speak about considerate pure joy, uh, knowing that uh, uh, testing of our faith produces something. I'm going to talk about steadfastness tonight, and I'm going to speak about the faith he's talking about. What does that mean, faith? What does it mean? Steadfastness, or the word endurance. The scripture emphasizes the importance of this attribute over and over and over again. I can't get to all of them, but Matthew 10.22 teaches us, And you will be hated by all the world for my name's sake, Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So endurance is a lot to God, but what does that mean to you or me? Many times the scriptures use uh, athletic games as an analogy, a metaphor for the Christian life, but what does it mean that you need endurance. How many people need spiritual endurance? Be honest. 
For what? What does it mean? What analogy can we use? You know, and you, you rack your brain for an analogy. This is an analogy I'll, I'll try to work with today. And it's from football. Any football fans here? I know we got a lot of football fans here. I tried to find some Jet fans, but there was not much I can find on the Jets to use, I'll be honest. As much as I love them. The endurance for Jets are the Jet fans. We're the ones who endure the pain all the time. I want to talk about a man named Peyton Manning. Easily one of the, the best quarterbacks. We all know how incredible this man came to the fourth quarter drive. He won 45 games in the fourth quarter. He had 56 game-winning drives. 56 game-winning drives in the last two minutes or the last possession of the football to win a game. That's in, Tom Brady's the only one who came close. He had 50. These are incredible numbers over a 17-year career. And we all know against all odds, against all the high pressure, 70,000 screaming fans for you or 70,000 screaming fans against you, 11 men out to get you. You've got a target on your back. He's exhausted at the end of the game. He's hurt at the end of the game. But understand something. This was his element. That was his domain. He's called the sheriff. And on the football field, he was able to take the ball, march sometimes 80 or 90 yards downfield, not calling one player until he got to the line. He would call an audible. He would look at the defense, and on the spot, he'd pick out a weakness, and he'd call a play. And then he ran, and he'd call a play. And then he'd call a play, and he'd march all the way down. 56 times in his career, he did this. Incredible. Do you know when you're born again? You're born again into what Paul says, the end of the ages. You're born again into a two-minute warning. It's a two-minute drill. Spiritually, we are in the last two minutes of human history. And we are called to be faithful to Christ. We are called to be faithful in our witness, in our moral maturity. We're called to be faithful in what we know about God. Think about your life. Now, as you've entered into the last 30 seconds, because that's what it's at, and you've got to drive downfield, and you have to be cool, calm, and collective, you've got to be ready for all things, you've got to be able to go to the line and call an audible at, the, at the, in a split-second decision under all pressure, exhausted and hurting, and 11 men out to get you, but you have to be sharp. That's the analogy. That means to be a complete Christian. We need to be sober-minded. Our enemy does what? Roams around, looking for someone. That's the 11 men that's after us. His name is Satan. And we got to be on our guard. This being made complete and mature through various trials, please, there's no joking matter. Let it never become a Christian cliche. Never let what James is talking about here become a Christian cliche that we can sort of, you know, memorize and say it, but not do anything for our life. God is serious about making us two-minute quarterbacks for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can march down the field under all pressure. We go against the tide, against the screaming fans that are all against us, against the team of the Roman lines that are against us. Understand something, this is what we do for Christ. And this is what God wants to do for us. Steadfastness is that ability to make split hair second decisions on the spur of the moment so that we don't fall into sin and we can lead other people out of sin. Are you with me? That's what it is. It's no laughing matter.
You need to be trained in this. You need to be developed. You need to be trained. I need to be trained. As a church, we need to develop and be trained in this type of warfare. This is a picture of the Christian life. We're living in the last two minutes of human history. Steadfastness, as we just spoke about, is that dynamic, it's that attribute, it's the main ingredient that says, let steadfastness have its full effect. You see, steadfastness itself is not the full effect. You can't even get on, and I can't get on with the further work of God unless I'm going to be around here tomorrow. Let me give you another analogy. There's no Christian growth or very little that does not have this spiritual fruit. I remember when I used to teach karate. I fought full contact karate. I fought around the world. Most of you know that. And then when I opened up my own school when I was 40 years old, and and I was teaching people, and uh, after a while I had a nice group of guys, and I taught them, and what we do, we fight. That's what we did. I trained people to fight and defend themselves. And we fight on Tuesday, but I had a captured audience. So you had to fight. What I would do, I'd, I'd get... I circle everybody around, I'd get in the middle, I'd fight for five minutes with everybody, then I'd get out and I'd put people in the middle, and they'd have to fight for five minutes straight. When you're there, you have to. Steadfastness comes if you come back the next day. And then you come back two days later. That's steadfastness. It's not about going through the fight when you're there, because you have to. It's about coming back. And that's the difference between the winners. Many people could do it for a night. And many people can do it for two nights. But who's going to do it for four nights? Every night. Every week. Every month. Until they mature and learn how to fight. Are you with me? That's the difference. You have to have that ability. There were people I looked at and I could say, as soon as they got hit, I'm saying, he's not coming back tomorrow. (laughs) Because I knew his character was weak. He wanted it. He wanted to have that black belt. He wanted to fight. He wanted to be good. But I knew there was a weak link in his chain. It was an Achilles heel. He didn't like to get hit. A lot of guys like the glory. You know, everybody loves the thrill of victory. But they don't like the... They don't like the agony of defeat. You see, but if you want to have the thrill of victory, you have to learn how to have the agony of defeat. So what happened, I would watch people. I'd say, he's not going to come back. In the gym, I'm training people. I train people in the gym. I know if someone gets sick, they're so weak in character. If they get the flu, I won't see them for a year. They're looking for an excuse not to come back. Christians. I see Christians go through things and I'm like, I don't know. Is this the one that's going to test their faith? Is this the one that, this is it? I'm not going to see them again. Every Christian, especially them Christians, they got to go through that taking it on the chin. They've got to go through the one hard thing. You've got to step back. You can do nothing but wait. There's nothing I can do. I'm the pastor, just like I was the karate teacher. I don't know. Is this the one that's going to take them out? Are they going to come back? Are you with me? Steadfastness is the ability to get beat to death. And guess what? And you come back. Christianity, steadfastness is you fall, you're beaten up, but guess what? You come back. When you have the comeback attitude, that's when you start to grow. There's no growth. People are praying, oh Lord, I need more patience, or I need more fruit of the Spirit, and we all do that, I do that too, please don't, don't get me wrong, but unless you have the comeback attitude, you can't have anything else. 
You have to have the ability of steadfastness. When you do have the ability of steadfastness, because you've been tried and tested in all areas, then steadfastness has a fuller effect on our character. Are you with me? This is why we can start to learn to consider it pure joy. There is no spiritual growth. This is a major part attitude. This moves naturally to what's being tested. What is being tested? The testing of what? But, but what is that? Well, what does that mean? It's very ambiguous. It's subjective. Oh. Hallelujah. Believe we sang it. Marty, the team, brings song after song of trusting in the promises of God. He's a God of yes and amen. You see, faith is that ability of Satan trying to say, Can, did God really sin? You see, Satan tested Adam and Eve's faith. Did God say, can you trust the word of God? That's the testing of you. Are his promises yes and amen when life is going great? Are his promises yes and amen when life is miserable? Is God a shifting shadow? Of course not. He's the same when. The testing of our faith. Am I going to trust Christ? Am I going to trust the word no matter how I feel my feelings? Feelings are the enemy of Christian faith. The enemy. Tossed to and fro by feelings. Tossed to and fro by circumstances and so on and so. Can I trust God? Is he my heavenly father now? Would he dare give me a scorpion when he knows this trial is crying out for a fish? Would he give me a rock when he knows I'm starving for bread? Will he not give me more of the Holy Spirit? This is the whole, this is verse 5, 6, and 7. You forget about the rest of this, this text. When you ask, do not, for if you doubt, you will not see. I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Is God our Father? Amen. Do we trust in his sovereignty, in his providence, in his provision? If his eye watches over the sparrow, how much more will it watch over me? How do we act when we're going through trials of various kinds? Do I forget I'm a Christian? Do I forget that God loves me, that God's going to provide for me? When the check's not in the mail, when I can't pay a bill, when, when the health and the doctor says this and this and says that, do I break down, crumble, and fall apart? Am I still able to operate as a Christian and bring joy to other people's life, though my life has fallen apart? Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know what he says? He says, we always carry around the death of Jesus in us, the apostles. They had a miserable life. Paul had a miserable life. Please understand that. Why? So that the life of Jesus can flow to you, O Corinthians. You see, there's something about the mature man. We need desperately this kind of growth in our lives. This is the faith. The faith, can I trust Christ? Am I his? Is his promise, yea and amen, to Brian Martin? I'm going to say this and you put your name in this. 
Is God's promises yea and amen to I love the song. Tis sweet to trust in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust in Jesus. That's what's going on in our text. That's why he says, if you need wisdom, ask. God gives generously. That's faith. But why am I going to ask? I don't trust him to begin with. You can hear faith. You can hear faith, people saying, I've seen, I, listen, I used my wife many times. When she went through cancer 20 years ago, I saw a woman of faith. No hair anywhere. Bandana on her head. Never missed church. Went to, went to work every day. On the worship team. Didn't stop worshiping God. We go home and cry at night, but guess who was there? Still trusting Jesus, Jesus, oh Jesus. Are you with me? I've seen people go through challenging tribulations that would have crushed them 10 years earlier in their Christian life. But God knew now it's the time to grow. Are you with me? God knows when it's time to grow. God says, this is the time for stronger faith. I'm allowing you. You see, as parents, we'd have a hard time leaving our child going through a hard, uh, going through a hard circumstance. We want to run in and save them from being bullied at school or something like that. And we want to, but sometimes you just got to let them go. And they got to be quarantined themselves. They got to be inoculated by trials and tribulations. They got to grow up. God has to do that for us. He has to pull back sometimes as we go through that. So we cry out and we pray. And I'll be talking about our prayer life and this whole character development later on, probably next week in our prayer life. But understand something. We all go through this. It's part of Christian development. There's nothing like when you're around a saint of 30 and 40 and 50 years and they say, I've been there, God was faithful to me then, and he'll be faithful to me now. Sister Adele blessed me and my wife last week. We drove home and she was like, I just pray, I just trust in God, I won't let anything bother. And we went home, we're like, that was the best sermon I heard in a long time. And I'm dead serious. It was, she just said a couple of things. She goes, I don't, I'm not pleading with God for my family anymore. I just trust that God's going to save them. And, I, and that's it. That they will be saved. We dropped her off. We looked at each other. I said, what am I doing wrong? I'm the pastor of the church. Bless your sister. Are you with me? Because that's somebody who's been through trials of various kinds over a prolonged period of time. And guess what? God has always shown himself faithful. So what now? We're in the lion's den. He's not going to show up? Of course he's going to show up. This is it, guys. Please hear me. All of us. Can you take what you've learned already and apply it to some area of your life tonight? If I'm going through trials of various kinds and I consider it, and I'll I'll go here right now to count. Count it all joy. The the word means in the Greek to be an opinion of, to to guide or govern. But sometimes it's used as a pronoun and it could be leader, it could be ruler, or it could mean chief. And what James is saying here, let this mental attitude of joy lead and govern all your thoughts through the tough times of your life. All the tough times of your life, consider it joy. Let that be the leading chief thought you have. That's what he's saying. When he says count it or consider it, he's not saying just think about it. He's saying reflect deeply. 
Let this attitude of heart, joy, because you know the outcome to be complete, let that be the driving influence in the midst of your trials. Count it all joy because God is faithful. We sung it. But we live in such a therapeutic world, don't we? Listen to me. And if it hurts, you can let me know. We can have a tendency because of our therapeutic community. Because in America, we think all pain should be alleviated, right? So there should be no suffering. We want want America to be uh, uh, Revelation chapter 22. No more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. You're not going to have that here. Okay? But the American dream is that we think that we're entitled to this pain-free life. So we have this therapeutic look. And what happens when trials and tribulations come, we live underneath the burden. I perceive all my life through the trial. That's all you're going to hear about Brian Martin is Brian Martin's trial. Or maybe the trial of the week. Next week it might be a different flavor. And then you'll hear that one. And, they, and what happens, we start to live through the, this narrow lens of hardship. But he says here, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you be complete. When you step back from the trial, no matter how painful emotionally or physically or spiritually it is, and you look at the big picture and you say, this is pointing me to Christ. And when someone says, how are you doing? You say, life is falling apart, but I'm doing great. God is good. Are you with me? You ever see someone going through a hard time and they got a smile on their face? I just use it as an example. It's, it's, it's majestic. It's God-glorifying. A year before my wife came down with cancer, there was a brother that helped me a lot in the church. I looked up to him greatly, and his wife came down with cancer. And, and I went to his shop in Staten Island, and I, I, I'm waiting. I have to get my tires fixed, and I, I'm going to see a man crumbling. Terminal cancer. And he looked at me and says, this has brought me and my wife so close to God. I was a Christian about two years. I wanted to run out of the place. Because the first time as a Christian, I came face to face with mortality. Don't miss that. God bring me face to face with mortality. And I saw a mature Christian going through it with joy and tears. A year later, me and my wife went through that. She's still alive and doing healthy. My wife is still alive and doing healthy. God is great. But here's the point. Here's the point. When he told me that, I saw the glory of God, and it scared me. I saw a man going through the toughest times and trusting in Christ. And even consider it pure joy. In his own words, it brought me and my wife closer to God and to each other. Stunned. I'm 32 years old. I'm stunned. I really wanted to run. I was so uncomfortable. How can you say such a thing? But that's what God does when he brings us through trials of various kinds. You can come face to face with death and consider it joy. This is the God we serve. This is the God who saved us. This is the kind of mental fortitude and attitude God wants us to have in our life. And he wants us to know this, and that's the last word, to know. To know means not to know intellectually. It's to know experientially. It's innate. As Christians, as we grow up, all of a sudden it's like, 
I've learned that lesson. I'll learn it again, I'll learn it again, but it gets easier and easier each time. It's painful, it's tearful, but guess what? I'm going to consider it pure joy because it gives God all the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the trials of various kinds, Father God, and it's through these trials that we learn never to bow the knee to fear or anxious thoughts, Father God, that we keep entrusting ourselves to you who judges justly who has the ability to raise us from the dead. As you told your servant Paul, when he felt he had the sentence of death in him in Asia Minor, he said that the lesson he learned was that he would not trust in himself, but from God who raises the dead. Father, how awesome you are. What a paradigm shift that we have as Christians in thinking. What a world runs away. When we do go through something, Father God, we can consider anything pure joy because it is testing the way we trust you and we're going to trust you more and more and more that we can consider it pure joy as we're being transformed in our inner man to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, who entrusted himself the fullest at Calvary on our behalf. In Jesus' name.